Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Fake Nerd Book Club. I am Brandon C. McClure, and joining me today is an old friend we haven't spoken in quite a while, Andy Pelasides. How are you, sir? Hello there. I'm good, thank you. It has been a hot minute, as the kids do say. Yeah, the last time we talked was Conversation Season 1, which I think came out two years ago. Have you, have you noticed how, like, you know, this decade, time has lost all meaning? It's, it's like you say, it's, you could say it'd be like two years ago. You could say it was like two months ago. I believe both. You know, it's just like <laughs> time. Time has lost all meaning. We are perpetually stuck in Thursday. I'll, I'll put this. I'll put this in perspective. When we did conversation, you were talking about writing uh, your your Wolf Three Five Nine project, hmm. and it is now out. It's a thing. It exists. Behold, a book. See, my I'm, name is on a book. I'm go. so jealous of that hardcover. It looks beautiful. It's beautiful, um, it is. I'd love to talk... offer it to people, but you know, Paramount say I can't. So, <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> Why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast, The Great Derelict? Of course, you and uh, uh, we'll get into a Star Trek comic book in a minute, guys. But I oh, want yeah. Andy to uh, uh, introduce well, himself. What, what, I, what I do, I'll say, if you, if, you, if you want the real skinny, the real lowdown on me, uh, you should go and check out Conversation Season One, where. I, I had a sit down with the host of this podcast and we spoke quite extensively about me and my podcast and things. But the, the, the short version is uh, I am a science fiction fan, have been for many, many moons. Uh, I do a podcast called The Great Derelict, which is just kind of my random musings about science fiction and anything to do with that. And I got the crazy idea about two years ago to write a book about Wolf 359 in the style of World War Z. So not the film, the film is terrible. I'm meaning the book. So the book where you have the kind of interviews of people and it kind of bit paints the narrative doing that. It's it's that, but with Borg instead of zombies, who are kind of like Borg or like zombies. But yeah, it's that sort of thing, basically. And um, yeah, it's 500 pages, 150,000 words, um, quite traumatic. I've made many people cry with a book. Uh, and it's so good that Paramount have told us that we shouldn't have made it as good as we have done by sending us a DMCA <laughs> strike. So um I, I, I wear that as a badge of honor. You know, it's you know, it's, it's nice. You know? It it's it's interesting. I wonder if this is the first published public. Uh, I wonder if this is the first written fan fiction that has gotten this kind of strike. Uh, I think it might be. I, I I think where we fell down is uh, we 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 we, did, we went to full hog. We did the whole book design and everything, and we we made things. We ha- I, I commissioned artwork, and I had L cars stuff in this. It's all very nice. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Brandon is currently putting pages of the PDF on the screen for you to do. Just giving you more work there, mate. It's fine. Um, but uh, we, we kind of went all out. Uh, and I think what happened was we got trolled by a bot uh, because uh, when we got the strike, it, it, it's, it's an AI company that does um, brand integrity, I think is what they're calling it these days. Uh, and we used a couple of screen captures from uh, Best of Both Worlds. We had like a shot of Locutus because, you know, we have a chapter called Locutus. And so that got pinged. So... I commissioned some more artwork, which at the time of recording is currently being done to hopefully get rid of that. Um, and then, weirdly enough, our, our Twitter page, the, uh, the header image, got pinged for use of the Star Trek Delta. But we don't have the Delta in the header image. So I'm like, okay. It's um, weird. It is, it's a bit weird. I, I think once you're on the radar for them, they just kind of like double down and just start pinging everything. Sure. Look, the DMCA strikes and everything, you know, you just have to go on YouTube. It's a nuisance thing. You know, anyone who does video reviews or anything like that with content, 
these things are all automated. There's no one actually involved in the system. So it's just a case of it's uh, the bot has said, oh, that looks basically Star Trek-y, copyright claim. And it's like, eh, fair use is a thing. Uh, but rather than trying to do a ton of wildfires at once, we're just waiting until we've got the new artworks done. Then we'll re-release the PDF file and then say, there you go. Uh, but you can still read the book. It's on Archive of Our Own or AO3, as uh, the kids call it. And uh, yeah, uh, links in the doobly-doo thingies. So. Yeah. And I uh, and the people who downloaded the PDF beforehand obviously will have the original. Oh yes. Well, the only difference will be literally is whereas in the um, the previous version there's some screen caps for the chapter dividers. Uh, now it will have artwork created from some right. fantastic artists as well. So um, yeah, screw you, Pam. I I just want to say I've I've read about half the book. I think I think it's incredible. Uh, I've been excited for it since our conversation chat. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. Yes, it was um, a labor of love is the only way you can describe it. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, no one paid me to do it. <laughs> Let me assure you of that. And I've made less than zero money on this. <laughs> if there was a perfect world, if there was a perfect world, instead of sending you a, a cease and desist for the book, Paramount would have said, hey, why don't we talk and let's get this published together? I mean, that would be very nice. Um, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, we don't... <laughs> I don't have to tell you, my friend, we do not live in a perfect world. <laughs> no, Paramount is, is notorious, is notorious for these kind of things uh, ever since, I mean, it got really bad after Axanar, right? Like, Yeah, they, kind, they the, kind of, like, they poisoned the world for everyone that came after them. They they screwed the pooch right there. And um, yeah. I have many thoughts on that. We'll save that for another podcast on another day. But uh, yeah. I appreciate people making a comparison. But uh, let me just say, no, uh, I've actually produced what I said I would produce. And I haven't charged anyone any money for it. That's true. Well, so why don't we why don't we why don't we uh, transition from there to another Star Trek book? So we're actually going to be talking about today a very a very old uh, well not very very old. Oh, sorry. How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> an older sorry, an older Star Trek comic. I actually mm. have the original DC Comics printed mm. run of this trade. Best, but by, by the way, I, I dare say one of the best comic covers of all time, or certainly of all Trek. I love that cover. That's that, pretty that good. Is, it's an awesome cover. I mean, it, yeah, I love that. It, it feels like the old uh, 1980s VHS covers, you know, Star Trek 2 or everything like that. I'm like, yeah, I love that cover. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Mirror Universe Saga, written by Mike W. Barr, with art by Tom Sutton and Ricardo uh, Villagran. This collects, I think it was called Star Trek New Frontiers, 6 through 9 through, six, nine through 16. Uh, so when I read it... Uh, I didn't read it in this first one because yeah, it's a little bit old. Uh, so that, mm. I believe the first one was in 1984 because this was originally released straight after Star Trek III. Uh, yeah. I read it in 1992 when it was issued in a Star Trek magazine we had over here in the UK. I don't know mm. if you had the same one over there. And I don't know what it was called other than it had Star Trek in it. But that was where I read it. Uh, and I just knew it as the DC Star Trek comic. Uh, I don't know if the New Frontiers thing was a later edition, but I believe at the time it was just Star Trek. I could be yeah. It could be. I mean, I I tried to look for um I tried to look for the exact title of it, and there's a couple because this book is so much. I, I don't. It's because it's not really that old. What does it say? You said it was eighty four. I believe it was eighty four. Eighty four. It basically it come. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into the, the details as to why. Uh, but it came out in um uh in the wake of Star Trek three. You know, it was the comic tie in yeah. to that film. Uh, and and no, I'm I'm looking on on them their internets here. Uh, I think New Frontier is the name of this particular... This wasn't called the Mirror Universe Saga at the time when it was released. Yeah. New Frontier is what the name of this story was. Mirror Universe Saga is what the collected uh, paperback is. So it was just part of the Star Trek 
comic from DC. Yeah. Well, uh, so why don't we why don't we get right right into it? So you've read this before. I've not read this before. So I want to get your initial thoughts real quick. Okay. Uh, my initial thoughts from when I first read it, or or now? Uh, now. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I I love this book. It's it's. I I think it's. It's it's my favorite era of Trek. You know, I love mm-hmm. the movie era. Excelsior class, uh, and, and other. I, I I love the Excelsior class, specifically the USS Hood for reasons we won't go into here and now. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's my era. I love that, and I love the the story it has, following on from Star Trek Three. I love the idea as well that these characters had an entire adventure between Star Trek Three and Four. If you go and read. Um, the, the entire run of the DC comics, basically. They started, uh, I think, originally in the wake of Star Trek II, maybe a bit before then. So you have stories. Star Trek Three happens. And then what they do is they have this entire adventure with Kirk in command of the Excelsior, going around having adventures, doing space stuff. And, and then when Star Trek Four came out, they had to conceive of a way in the comic book to get them all back on Vulcan with Spock having lost his memory and with a Klingon bird of prey. And they, they write a story to kind of get you back to where you finished. And it it worked. And it also explains why the bird of prey has a different bridge between three and four. So I choose to view this as, as canon. Uh, oh, me. interesting. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I did not read anything more than this. So I didn't know <laughs> that they actually did try to MacGyver away and in, back into Star Trek four. Yeah, it, it, it kind of comes full circle towards the end. I love some of the characters they bring in here. Uh, I don't know if these characters originated in the comic or in the novels, but uh, there's the character of Conan, who is uh, a Klingon officer serving in uh, Starfleet, and this is you know three four years before Next Generation. You know, Conan predates yeah. Worf, which is kind of cool. Uh, he's not in this comic as well, but there was a um, a Horta officer in the comic series called uh, Narat, uh, as I recall. I'm a Horta of the rock-like beings from um, the original series. You know, uh, which is great. Uh, yeah, there was there was a really cool kind of supporting cast that kind of continued on in, in the series. And yeah, I just I, I just love adventures in the in, in the um, the movie era, you know, a lot of fat Star Trek fans today talk about wanting stories in the lost era and that period between Star Trek six and, um, um, the next generation, you know, you know, the stuff with Harriman and the enterprise B and these comics are kind of that. Uh, but I love it. I mean, even the art style, I love, I mean, some of the spaceship stuff gets a little funky in terms of portions and everything, but there's, there's a lot of shots. There's a lot of <laughs> shots where the enterprise just straight up looks like the Excelsior. Well, there's a lot of shot. There's, there's one shot where the Ex- Enterprise looks like the Excelsior, but generally speaking, it is the Excelsior because, again, the Excelsior is front and center in this story. And I love that because I love me, the Excelsior. The Excelsior, gorgeous shit. <laughs> yeah, I so I never read this one before. Um, I but I really like the Mirror Universe and I picked this up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, IDW had put out some next generation Mirror Universe books recently, um, yep. which is kind of the impetus for, for starting here and uh. I I have an issue with older comics where many times when I read an older licensed comic, the uh, character, the writers won't accurately get the voices of the characters very well because they're writing in a, they're writing in a very different way. They're writing in a very kind of um, what's the way I want to describe this? Well, I'd actually uh, I, I I would put it. It might just be a case of they don't know the material because they're being hired to just write a story you know they've given yeah. a script write it they may have never watched star trek or star wars or whatever they're writing about you know it's just okay this character has to do this this and this this um 
Whereas, at least for me at least, uh, the Mirror Universe one, it works for me. I, I can hear the character voices in there. And that's what I was about to say, is that I yeah. could very well mm-hmm. uh, hear these characters' voices. And I was surprised because, like, even Kirk and... Uh, Kirk is is surprisingly a difficult voice to nail in, in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't think it would be, but it kind of is because of the way Shatner talks. But I really thought that... <clears throat> Uh, Mike Mike Barr, who wrote the book, really captured uh, Shatner's voice hmm. <clears throat> without doing the dot 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 pauses or like the whatnot. But you can hear Shatner saying these di- these dialogue. This dialogue. Well, if, if 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 you think back to when this is, you know, it's post Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six, which I think uh, sort of post Two and Three, which I think are Shatner's strongest performances as Kirk. You know, Star Trek Two is yeah. absolutely peak Shatner without becoming uh, uh, the caricature. Uh, and Mike Barr also wrote some novels uh, and things as well. You know, he, 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 done, he did a lot of um, the Star Trek things. So I think he knew the material uh, well enough. In fact, I think he also did the, uh, the Marvel novelization for the motion picture. So, you know, he's been right. doing the Star Trek stuff for a while. But, but even more so than, uh, than Shatner, he got the other characters as well. There's a great bit where who was uh, left in charge of the ISS Enterprise for a moment mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I just love the line, I go, it's about damn time. You know, it's just, yeah. it gets it. But, but he also gets the Mirror Universe versions as well, which kind of carry over from what we saw from them in the, uh, the Mirror... Is it Mirror Mirror, the original series one? There's so many Mirror so. Universe episodes now, I can't remember which one's which. But they, they, they kind of capture that voice of, you know... Chekhov and Sulu and the, and the other characters and and Spock who is um, the uh, at, at the end of Mirror Mirror he goes oh well maybe I will turn on the, uh, the tyrannical empire and uh, agree to kind of bring it down and this time he's like nah she couldn't be bothered with it. <laughs> I did appreciate I did appreciate that that Spock's explanation for still being with uh, uh, Tiberius Kirk hmm. um, as I think the I think is the fan name for the Imperial yeah. version of Kirk. Um, is when he says, uh, when he says, he's like, yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you know, it's ultimately I decided against it. Yeah, if I'd have done that, I'd have probably died. Um, but it's cool. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. So this is the. Um, so this was, as you mentioned before, this came out after Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's carrying it's carrying off of those characters in a kind of what if version of Star Trek Four. Um, what that would have been. I, I, I like to view it as Star Trek 3.5. <laughs> well, I, I was kind of reading this and I was just thinking like, they, they do a lot of stuff in this book that I wish Star Trek 4 did. And I yeah. really like Star Trek 4. Star Trek 4 The Voyage Home is, is, has a special place in my heart. I love that mm-hmm. movie dearly. Um, I, I've mentioned many times that I lived where they filmed the the San Francisco Cetacean yeah. Institute. Um, you know where the nuclear vessels are. <laughs> I do indeed. But they... Um, they have a, a a scene between Kirk and Carol after David died, mm-hmm. and Carol Marcus disappears after the Wrath of Khan. Yep. And I was I saw this. I was like, oh yeah, of course, Kirk should go to to Carol after this, and they should have a moment where they grieve. And that's kind of where this comic kind of started blowing me away because I was like, I you, you didn't get this in the movie, and it really sucks that we didn't uh, because mm-hmm. this was a scene that needed to happen. It's like yeah. David. David dies. It's a really important beat in Search for Spock, and then it's never addressed again. A little bit in six, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's the sense of you see his picture and he says, "I, don't, I can't trust Klingons because they killed my son." And then, right. as you say, it, it's 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 largely forgotten about. But yeah, it, it's great having that uh, the connection back to Carol Marcus and Genesis and kind of carrying on that through line. And, and yeah, this this had an impact on Kirk and his perception of himself and, and how he was, um, which I really liked. Also, you know, we, we saw 
um, you know, he sacrificed everything to go and rescue uh, Spock. But showing this one, he was like, okay, yeah, we did that. I don't regret doing this, but now we have to go and face the Piper and, and to yeah. go and do that. And they, they do kind of address that in um, in Star Trek Four, but this just seems like they were a bit more proactive in doing that and, mm-hmm. and heading off to go and uh, to to, uh, to do them. I, I mean, for me, obviously, the thing that kind of annoys me most about Star Trek Four is them getting the Enterprise A at the end of it when they should have had the Excelsior, which they do in this book. So that's fine. <laughs> you think they should have had the Excelsior, not the A? Yes. Yeah. Uh, don't get me. St- uh. <laughs> I have strong opinions about Star Trek registry numbers, and the A annoys me quite a lot. Well, but, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> isn't the only reason why the A is given is because at that point, Star Trek: The Next Generation had started? No, it was before uh, the Next Generation was started. It? That came, yeah. Um, it it was probably well in production, but you know, Star Trek Four is nineteen eighty six, and Next Generation didn't air until eighty seven. So it was in pre production. Oh, right. you know, it wasn't. It wasn't on the way yet. Um, they probably had. The, I mean, they probably like, wanted to kind of make it make that idea that oh, this is the Enterprise D. Where did that come from? Here's the Enterprise A, and we off to the race. It's entirely possible. I just think you should have had the Excelsior, much better ship. <laughs> yeah, you like um, the Excelsior <laughs> a lot. And so, so what's interesting about this? So, it, but here, you know, most of my Star Trek is the Next Generation era. That's kind of where mm-hmm. I'm, I, and I really yeah. love, I really love all of Star Trek, but. The Excelsior, the Excelsior class starship in the Next Generation is a workhorse starship. It's mm-hmm. it's very much it's not. It's a taxi <laughs> essentially, um, and I I forgot because of that has been in my mind for so long that it when it debuted as exemplified in this book, it was the most advanced starship that Starfleet has ever produced. Like so far <laughs> advanced that it could do freaking miracles in this book. Oh, I mean, that's the thing about it. You know, when, when it was introduced in Star Trek Three, you know, the great experiment, this massive yeah. ship there that was so sleek and modern, and, and you know, it just kind of exemplified the the name Excelsior. Just kind of suggests that nothing is impossible. And and it, you know, I just love that shot. And it had the biggest dick on the planet as a captain, Captain Styles. Um, my, my my one complaint, I think, with um, with the book is, and I think this is kind of testament that this was probably being written while Star Trek Three was in production. And so uh, probably, probably Mike Barr had access to the scripts, but not necessarily to, to the footage, is they don't quite get styles right. Style, mm. they, you know, they, they paint him as kind of an arrogant uh, guy who knows all, but he doesn't have his moustache, he doesn't have his swagger stick, you know, that kind of sense of self-superiority. He, he has a very British officer energy in, in the film, which is a little bit missing here. In this, he's just a bit of a spoiled child. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I, I love... You know uh, how uh, Kirk is able to get one up over him uh, throughout this the book series as well, um, and I love how Styles just keeps trying to lord it over him, saying, "No, well, you threw it all away, and you know you could have had. Look at the ship you could have had. Let me give you a wonderful tour of this ship and and show you all of this." And it's just like, yeah. "Okay, Styles, yeah, yeah, it's fine." <laughs> it's just really, it's really funny to see like, you know, the the Excelsior is was a really advanced ship when it was introduced, and we had all these mm-hmm. things, but like this book really like brings it even more so into the advanced like oh look at look at the sick bay with all these robots and things <laughs> look at our transporters can beam through all the we have clo- anti-cloaking technology and we well, i was gonna say they had tracing phases didn't they where you could just yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought it was really funny because like it really felt like the excelsior has abilities like so, excelsior is like the golden age superman where he has mm-hmm. a where it has mm-hmm. abilities that it needs at the moment yeah uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I thought it, that was really fun. 
It's really fun. I mean, you know, and I, and I think that's kind of how they originally envisioned the Excelsior in the the movie area. It was meant to show that kind of step change from the original series to that what was to become in the next generation. You know, it. You know, if, if you want to look at it in terms of aircraft, it's like going from a Spitfire to an F fifteen. You know, there's yeah. there's, there's quite a step change there, uh, and, and that was great. But what I do love in here as well, you still get that bit of nostalgia when you see the Mirror Universe Enterprise, the ISS Enterprise, and. You know, when Kirk first steps onto that bridge and he has that moment of, um, what's her name, Melania goes, oh, um, it's like you've never seen it before. And he goes, no, I just didn't think I'd ever see it again. And, yeah. you know, little, little touching moments there. And it's, I, I just like the fact that, yeah, they went back to the Enterprise. We also get a source of separation uh, before uh, we get that in Next Generation as well. So This is the again. first time we saw the original Enterprise do a source of separation, right? Well, it's mentioned in the original series, but we never see it. And it yeah. was definitely in, uh, uh, it was storyboarded for the motion picture. But I think this is the first time, canonically, narratively, we see it happen, where yeah. we see them separate the, uh, the saucer to go and uh, take on the Excelsior. <laughs> and Kirk has this moment where he's, it was really funny because Kirk has this moment where he's, where he's asked, like, what about the other crew of the, what about the other yeah. crew? And he's just like, well, it's too bad. That's yeah. too bad. Well, let's let's move on. Oh yeah, no. He, he, he again. He's playing up the kind of evil villain, and another voice I think Mike Vargas really well here is he. He really does get the kind of evil Kirk that we only saw briefly in the original episode. But it's that manic energy, you know, that kind of like, you know, I, I will do absolutely anything. You know, it's all about me, 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 and you know, yeah. my furthering my agenda here and, and and to do that. And it, you know, he captures that voice really well because he is an one absolute the, nut job. <laughs> one of the things I actually kind of wish this book had done more was use the mirror universe Kirk more. And I think we get a lot of him in the beginning and the, but there's mm-hmm. about four chapters in the middle here where he's just not present. He's, 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 he's having a nap. Um, he's having a nap. And I, yeah. I wish that the mirror universe Kirk was more, was more of a central villain mm-hmm. uh, for Kirk to have to deal with because I, I liked seeing the two of them have to uh, come together to, to, um, uh, have to butt heads. Um, I like that dynamic. I, I think the problem you'd have there, though, potentially, is you might just end up remaking Wrath of Khan. And as we know from Interdiamond, so. you should never remake Wrath of Khan. Uh, I, I think when you have the kind of the two uh, sides of the same coin butting heads, you know, how, how do you write that in a way that wouldn't just feel like retreading that sort of ground there? Yeah. I quite liked, I mean, this is also the first real time, I think, ever we've had a good look at the Mirror Universe of Society. You know where they go and explore Earth with the Resistance on Alcatraz, and you get that. You know the story is very much again; it's just Kirk taking the law into his own hands because that's just what Jim Kirk does. But you know, going off to head off the invasion fleet and coming up with this plan to use the Excelsior, which is so advanced it can destroy fleets without, you know, nearly a nearly an issue. And also, Who needs the magic. Fleet? Yeah, you just need the Excelsior; you'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I do really like that we see um, the Mirror Universe Society, the more of the Mirror Universe Society here, because mm-hmm. uh, the Mirror Universe is something that has, I think, rightfully interested fans since its first debut in Mirror Mirror, mm-hmm. um, the original episode. And it's really interesting that we never saw the Mirror Universe again until Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think maybe. I think maybe there was a desire not to retread same ground for uh, the next generation uh, that the original series did. So was, they didn't there, want to. Hmm? It was a uh, mirror universe novel for the next generation by Diane Duane. 
which I think was called The Mirror Darkly. I think so, which was very cool. A lot of what you see in yesterday's Enterprise was based off of the depiction of the Mirror Universe Enterprise from that book. Oh, um, okay. So like phasers, the uh, the raised platform and things there. Yeah. So so there was a Mirror Universe novel, but I just I just don't think they they had the story to to tell it. Plus, we did yesterday's Enterprise, which is kind of Mirror Universe esque uh, yeah. to to a certain extent. What's well, um, yeah, interesting I, I, about? Go ahead. What I was going to say, what was interesting is when we went into DS9, though, they completely turned it on its head and it was no longer the case of your favourite characters, but evil. Now it was your favourite characters, but subjected to slavery as a result of the consequences of what we saw in the um, uh, the original Mirror Universe. Uh, yeah, I always kind episode. of felt that was interesting that the DS9 that the DS9 episodes were they took the idea that Spock was going to actually make some change and and, and he did mm-hmm. so which weakened the empire and then they um and then they were they were uh, subjugated by the Klingons and Cardassians. And so it's really interesting to see a mirror universe where that effectively doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh or at least doesn't happen yet. Uh, <laughs> because yeah. I guess you can make I, I the mean, case that the 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 rebels win at the end of this yeah well i mean it was quite interesting as well because uh they they kind of explain where the point of divergence was in this universe to yes, that's uh, right. thing and, and obviously this predates enterprise by quite a bit so you know in enterprise we saw the the moment when the vulcans land and then zephyr cochran pulls out a shotgun and shoots the vulcan dead and yeah. they raid the ship here it was uh the earth romulan war was the point of divergence romulus one and then enslaved earth for about a decade and it was after that that when they overthrow uh the oppressors there they decided that they would never again be subjugated and would uh, go on to build their empire so that was the point of divergence uh that we had there and i was gonna say one of my favorite depictions of the mirror universe actually was in the the novel uh verse which is again kind of tng onwards but it kind of shows that spock was playing a long long game like you know he was mm-hmm. playing four-dimensional chess where he understood that to to destroy the empire it had to first be destroyed so that the people would then rise up to be free but without the fascist overtones effectively uh, and so he made uh, provisions and caches to enable that when that happened uh, they would be able to survive and, and get through and yeah, that, that's one of my favorite series and uh you know if you ever get around to doing most bits of the novels i'll come back and talk about those but uh yeah i really enjoy this look at the movie universe because as i said before i love the movie era i love the monster moon uniforms i love the excelsiors I, I just love this era this hornblower in space i think is when it's kind of encapsulated its best you and i have a similar love for the monster maroons they're one of my favorite mm-hmm. uniforms as well um I don't get the love for the Excelsior, I'll be honest. I'm more of a Constitution class guy, which, you know, it's fine. Um, but I, I have those too. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, got, I, I love the Constitution class starship. It's my, it's my favorite. Um, yeah. All iterations of it. I've, I've liked every type of Constitution class I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think they're all really beautiful. Um, but I think what's really... What's really fun is to see that the mirror universe, because the mirror universe, there's this kind of idea that that uh, what the main, what the prime universe does, the mirror universe is also doing. So like we yeah. even get a hint of like, there, the mirror universe is building a version of the Excelsior, just not quite mm-hmm. as advanced. Yeah. Um, and we get to um, 
and, and we see like the monster maroons. They've they've evolved the monster maroons, and but the only difference is that they have the um, uh, the Terran logo. There's 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 three there's three big differences with their monster maroons. Um, one is there are slightly darker. I'm oh, sorry, four big differences. One there are slightly darker shade of red, which you can see on the screens whenever you see them on screen together. Uh, sure. The the Terran ones are more of a darker burgundy color as opposed to the brighter color that the maroons are. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is the insignia, as you say. Three is they tend to have a blue sash with a a knife. Uh, the knife, att- yeah, which uh, is kind of a holdover from the original series depictions. Uh, and lastly, they have a Sam West belt, which is uh, a belt with a black leather strap which goes across. Because you can't be a fascist state without having a black belt with a Sam West belt. You know, that's, that's just a rule. <laughs> now, there is one other, there is a variant of the Monster Maroons in the Mirror Universe that, w- that the Prime Universe doesn't have. And it's the female variant, which mm-hmm. I thought was incredibly hilarious to just be a top with the, sa- with the same little white stripe on the shoulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, you can't be evil without a crop top. It's, it's, it's like a rule. Although I would like to say, I mean, why, why, don't we, why don't we see more of the male officers wear the crop top on, damn it? You know, equality for all. Let's see Sulu in the, uh, in the crop top, eh? Well, I mean... <laughs> I, perhaps the mirror universe is just far more sexist than the prime universe. I mean, as yeah, that tracks to be perfectly fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's I, I just like you know those moments where you have Kirk and Tiberius facing off against each other, and you know the, the, the kind of dualities, and you just give them a little bit of a slap upside the head because you know it's what the evil ones do. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I really appreciate whenever people are whenever people like allow Kirk to be what he is which is a, a good statistician um mm-hmm. and when he's he because he's kind of playing the long game when it comes to the just the mirror the 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 empire and even with his counterpart um mm-hmm. even when when we first when he, they're first under attack and they're not quite sure what's happening uh when when the is enterprise is attacking the excelsior and kirk is like if i were this guy i would do it this way so maybe yeah. you don't do it and styles is like oh kirk the you blow the, you you don't know what you're talking about. This is the Excelsior, and so I really like that they that they allow Kirk to just be this kind of uh, this kind of person because you so often people just forget that Kirk isn't what fans think what what not what like from an outside perspective yeah what Kirk is which I've well, it's, it's, it's it's the old uh, Kirk is the bookworm Kirk is the nerd you know Kirk yeah. is the one who studies the strategy it's Picard who was the um, the wild one going out at all hours, drinking and getting stabbed through the heart by the Norsekans for being in dive <laughs> bars. You know, it's not really what you expect, but that was the uh, that was the reality of it. Yeah, I also I, I, did like... quite, I was going to say I, I quite liked how uh, Jim Kirk instantly just hit it off with um, was it Melania the um, Kirk's woman, yeah. whatever it was. Uh, it was just like yeah, just just straight in there making out, you know. And she's from yeah, she's from the first episode, right? Yeah, she's from the mirror. Yeah the mirror mirror episode of the original series but yeah it's just like no, no question no time whatsoever straight into bed with her it's just like yeah that's that's jim Curry. <laughs> oh i haven't i haven't seen you in 15 years you still look hot though oh yeah <laughs> um there's a i just turned to a page that i want to highlight which is mm-hmm. when spock and spock are, are mind meld fighting yeah i just an electrifying sequence. Like it's really mm-hmm. weird. It's because it's just different angles of just the same shot of the two of them touching foreheads. Yeah. And it, it's just such, and you hear the dialogue through their, through their mind melt. And it's such a, such a really intense sequence. It, it's such a difficult sequence to do right. If you, and, mm-hmm. and make intense. And I thought that they, they handled it very well. Also, they kind of left that quite ambiguous. Um, 
because that ends at the end of, I think, the second issue of the series where mm-hmm. Spock just basically goes, very well, uh, I'll defeat you. And you kind of don't really know who's won or what's happened. You just see, yeah. um, you know, there's there's feet on the floor and, and uh, a Spock is saying um, uh, very well, you know, that is the end of it. And it's it's only in the next issue when you get revealed that they're actually now working together. Um, I mean, they were very clever as well. When you first see the um, the Enterprise in the book, you know, we, we kind of go from Kirk on the Bird of Prey going to uh, to Regular One for the funeral, and then it cuts to the Enterprise approaching Regular One, and it almost feels like a misprint. Like this should be at the beginning of a book, you know. We're kind of getting or the introduction a flashback, or, or, or something like that, because you know they hide Spock's beard in, yeah. in, in the way it's framed, and you know it's, it's all done this sort of way until you get the big reveal where they fire the phases and you got the crew shot of them all sitting there with the uh, Terran badges that you say, oh, wait, no, these are the evil ones. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good misdirect. I also think that mm. um, the artwork is, uh, the artwork is really good up to a certain point. I think they, they have an issue distinguishing Chekhov from Kirk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're both brown, brown haired white people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And so that was really difficult. Sometimes I'd be reading Chekhov's line, and I'd be like, "Oh wait, no this this was supposed to be read in a Russian accent, not a yeah, not Kurt." If, if, um, if you don't change all of these to Ws, how are we going to know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it was really so. I think the the artwork is is really fun and really good, and I really like how fluid it, it is with the with mm-hmm. the kind of this kind of like eighties art uh, sci fi artwork with all the squiggly colors and things. Um, and I think the the ships look really fun, even if they sometimes look a little funky. Um, yeah. But the, Big fleet the battles, though, which is great. <laughs> right. But the, the character models are, are I think, really... They're, they're, they, they stand out because they're, up to a point, really good uh, artistic mm-hmm. representations of the, of the main cast. Yeah. Um, again, with the exception of sometimes they get... Sometimes it's a little confusing with Kirk and Chekhov. Yeah. Well, I will say, if, if you're reading this with the IDW reprint, they, there's a habit of a minute where they go back and recolor stuff. Yeah. And they kind of painted over it, and it 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 looks very flat in terms of how they've done it. Really? Um, yeah, and and it's just a bit of a disappointment that they've gone and done that. Um, the artwork's still good, but the colours now are just far too oversaturated, and I dare say more cartoony than they were in the uh, the one that you have there. That's really that's really interesting. So I almost picked that up. So that's uh, just so people know, this book that I, that we're talking about has been reprinted by IDW as Star Trek Classics: The Mirror Universe Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I considered picking it up, but I decided against it because I already had this this book. I'm kind of glad I did now because I really like the colors in this book. I think yeah. they're they're really fun. There's something um, there's something unique about colors from this era that you don't want to get rid of. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if it's just how it was printed or the expectation of the paper was going to be printed in. You know, 1980 comic book paper was not the highest quality yeah. uh, uh, paper out there. So, but yeah, there was just there was. If you look online, you can find it, you know, the, sure. the, the more recent one. But yeah, the colors are just very, it, it's like someone's just kind of painted over them. And I'm a fan, if I'm honest. Um, I really like how much the, um, how how much of the story comes, how much they were able to mine from the Miri Miri episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's like a 45 minute episode of television that came out in the 60s. Um, <laughs> and they're able to mine all these different pl- like the tantalus uh field yeah. comes back into play the, the we talked about um uh the girl which i forgot her name all of a sudden i i, I want to say it's melania but uh, I, I i will look into that while you 
talk. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, so, and so like they and they even reference back to it, and uh, I just thought that was really it was really unique and really felt like this feels like a it was a book written by a Star Trek a person who a, a person who has been in, in engaged with Star Trek for so long that they oh, yeah. know the, the series backwards and forwards. Oh, um, it was Millennia, by the way. Uh, sorry, M A R L E N A. So Malena, 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 Malena. Yeah, let's yeah, go with yeah. Malena. Yeah. Um. um and, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say you, you, you're right. It, it, it's you know the person writing this not only knows the material but has a love for the material. You know, there's a lot of references and connections in there as well. Uh, also, I mean, just silly things as well, like the ship names that are being used there. You know, you have on the, uh, the Federation side, you have the Courageous, which is a ship yes. that you know we're all kind of familiar with. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a name that's kind of um, evokes that sense. But when you get over to the Mirror Universe, you have the Nixon, the Nixon, know, which, which I thought was quite fun. Uh, and then you also have um, the Farrag that shows up uh, as well. Uh, there was a Nagura, which is a that's a deep, deep cut there because uh, Nagura is the admiral who promotes Kirk to Admiral in the motion picture, effectively. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, he was going to be a much bigger character in uh, Phase 2, effectively. But, I mean, that, that's the kind of reference that you have to know your Star Trek to, to pick up on that. So. Yeah, there's 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 references to, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, like mm-hmm. you just said with Nagura. Like, there's things that... It wasn't easy access back then in the eighties, yeah. like it is now. You right now there's no memory it. alpha. <laughs> but there's no there's no memory alpha, and like this person writes this book as if there was a memory alpha, and I was really surprised about that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's I, even I, a, also, there's, real quickly, there's a USS Christopher Pike, which I appreciated. I like that as well. Yeah, NCC one seven oh nine. But what I also liked, it, I mean, that in itself was a deep cut because if you think about it, yeah. We didn't really. The only real reference you'd have had to Pike would have been the menagerie. So that yeah, the cage hadn't even happened. Exactly. No, that was never it. Um, uh, and what was I going to say? Uh, oh no, trying to try, uh, afford the rail up the station. Oh well, whatever it's gone, it has now gone now. <laughs> the uh, so regular so the Mirror Universe Carol is killed. Yeah, at, uh, quite early on. And uh, we, we we learn early that. Uh, at least Kirk thinks that the Mary universe David is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, they, Kirk killed both his son and his, uh, and his baby mama, I guess. Well, I was going to say, this is Tiberius just so we're clear, but yeah, you know, he's, he's, yeah. he's being evil. So, Oh, I remember what I was going to say now, circling back depictions of the Klingons and Romulans, which is something that aside from the Klingons in the motion picture and, um, obviously, uh, Kruge, Kruge, um, Christopher Lloyd, basically, in Star Trek yeah. Freebo. This was like the first depictions of Klingon homeworld, the idea of a Klingon emperor, Kalos IV, I think he was, uh, Kalos IV. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was the first time seeing that. I and mean, then also the Romulan-Klingon alliance, which was a thing in um, uh, the original series, kind of bringing those in. I mean, I, I, I felt the Romulan uniforms might be a little problematic. I don't know. It's just, it just, they just felt a little wrong. Uh, but it was great exploring those bits of the law which just hadn't been touched upon since uh, the original series, although in the novels and things like this, other writers had had done stuff with those. But yeah, it was great just seeing that on screen. It's really interesting having a character in Starfleet who is Klingon before Worf was uh, mm-hmm. introduced. And not, I'm sure they'd go into it, but like in this book, not go into the ramifications of the fact that there's a Klingon serving on the Enterprise. So, uh, so Conan 
uh, and again, I can't remember if he originated in the comics or in the books, but he's a pacifist, and he yeah. he 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 he, he um, that's part of the reasons why he came to to serve in, in the Federation there. And yeah, it's a really interesting character. I really like him. I, I even named a ship in the Three Five Nine book uh, after Conan. It's USS Conan oh, in there. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just love that you have that. There's, there's a, a, a Lieutenant uh, Bearclaw, I think she's called as well. There's there's a whole little cast of like you'd almost call them the next generation, but they're serving alongside Kirk and everything like this, and they have little side adventures as you're going along. And uh, yeah, there's there's a great moment where. Uh, they all want to come on the Excelsior with with Kirk and they go, come come help us. And, uh, he, he says something along the lines of, uh, "No, you're all terrible, but uh, if I don't take you along, sort of thing, you might end up with the Klingons." And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So come on, you know, come on the adventure with us. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciated that. I, I, Kirk likes his crew, even if he doesn't know them all. He's just like, "Yeah, you, why not? Let's all go on an adventure. Let's all." Yeah. I really like when he's talking to Starfleet, also, and Starfleet is like. Yeah, okay, thanks for dealing with the mirror universe versions of you, but you gotta come you gotta come to Earth now. And he's yeah. just like Okay, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna go to the mirror universe though. Yeah. I'm gonna let you spend the time to get your feet together. I'm gonna go and deal with them and uh back soon. Boy, me shit, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I like you. Just kind of, yeah, just just get styles out in a warp sled and just uh, off you go, Starbase 13 and uh... <laughs> Oh, uh one of the things I wanted to bring up because you just remembered you just reminded me about the 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 warp sled the mm-hmm. um did you ever play the video game i think it's called star trek shattered, shattered universe oh the um uh, i kind of started it but it was a playstation game i think it was playstation 2 yes playstation uh, 2 and you, you you are you are uh you play someone on the excelsior and yeah, it's transported Sul- to the mirror universe yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think they uh, pull some some ideas from this into that game as well yeah, the 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 fighter jet, the fighter shuttles mm-hmm. that you use in that game feel very much in as at least a visual inspiration, mm-hmm. a visual inspiration from this book. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's. The, the, I, I think a lot of the. I mean, like I said, Conan as a character, you know, you can see a clear line through to Worf uh, in there. Also, yeah. I think someone could me wrong. I don't think Worf ever said he was the first Klingon in Starfleet. Just he was the only Klingon in Starfleet. Oh, that's a good point. I, I, I think don't later, it's, that. I think later it's become the first, but I think in the yeah. beginning it was the only. Well, in the beginning of Next Generation, the Klingons and the Federation, well, the, Fed, the Klingons were supposed to be part of a Federation, and yeah. uh, there, there was a scene where they actually take a phone call from a, a Klingon, and it has the Federation logo and the Klingon logo, you know, kind of behind him, and they just quietly back on that uh, later on. Right. <laughs> I mean, they, they they did they did that a lot. I mean, the the early yeah. next generation, the what Roddenberry wanted gener- next generation to be with like the Romulans were going to be the main villains and the mm. the Klingons part of the Federation. It was all kind of work in progress stuff that just didn't yeah. really come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot of ideas that are in here. I I, I don't know how many of them carried into the because I've read most of the TNG Mirror Universe comics mm-hmm. as well. They're very good. Um, I, I think the first one was the strongest of those ones. And then it kind of, I, I think what's nice here is it's a nice short contained story. It has a beginning, a middle and an end, and then that's it. And spoiler alert for the rest of the DC comics, they never really go back to it. You know, this is kind of a story they want to tell and, and, and that's it. Yeah. The TNG ones, it can't, you know, it, it's a little bit, I'll get you next time, Gadget, next uh, time. <laughs> well, I want to I push back on one thing. This isn't short, this is eight issues. 
Eight, eight issues, yeah. And, and you compare that to, say, the ongoing Mirror Universe one, which I think is eight trade paperback issues, if you will, or That's the ongoing fair. Darth... How many Darth Vader comics have we had now in the Star Wars one? <laughs> A lot. But one yeah. of the, I, I kind of... I actually... I do. I did feel the length for this one. I think it's a little. I think it's a little on the long side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't think there's any wasted real estate in this book, which mm-hmm. is something that's. Uh, it's just interesting to say that that it's either too long or, or not wasted. I don't know. Um, no, no, I, 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 I do get your point. I, I think I think it's paced well, but I also if you, if you think about it, this would have been released monthly or biweekly originally. Yeah. Um, because the US, I think your comics in, in the UK, the comics used to be weekly. I think in the US, though, they were monthly. Don't quote monthly. me on that. Yeah. So every month you'd have been getting one of those issues. So I think that was enough to kind of keep your interest throughout it. It doesn't feel wasted. Each issue as well has a really, because that's another rare thing. When you have a big collective story like that, you often find that the overall story works, but the individual episodes are, are kind of just hit and miss. Each issue of this, though, I think works as its own little vignette or mini episode and yeah you know they all have a nice beginning middle and then a nice little through line the only bit i think felt a bit rushed was how the how they dealt with the mirror counterparts in that sense of savik wakes up and then you know she kind of plays along for a little bit and then she gets kirk out um and then i did i did kind of like how jim kirk puts them on the shuttle and they go call for help and then the guru shows up and goes can you confirm you're actually jim kirk yes i confirm we're king jim kirk okay great fire the faces at him and we're claiming the bounty <laughs> yeah, i did pre- what an unceremonious end to to the empire version of jim kirk and the rest of the crew because you know they're all on there they're just kind of like yeah <laughs> uh and I, I do appreciate that he like immediately kills savik too because he's just like savik would never turn me against spock yeah <laughs> um i also uh there's another Mary Universe character that I didn't expect coming into this book, but it's Mary Universe David. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end, towards the middle of the book, we were introduced yeah. to he's the leader of the resistance. Um, and I, I once again, like one of those things that like I re- I really like Voyage Home, but one of those things that I wish Voyage Home had dealt with is David and having to having this Kirk deal with his grief through another version of David. I think just mm-hmm. was really strong. I appreciate yeah. the plot beat. I mean, we get the CGI head of David in the Voyage Home, and that's not quite the same. Uh, but I, it's, it's something they kind of did with DS9 as well, when Cisco meets Miri Jennifer as well there, and they kind yeah. of have this, you know, there's a, there's a touching moment at the end of a comic where, you know, that David goes, uh, would it be okay if I called you father? And he goes, of course, son. You know, it, it, it almost feels like they've had a second chance and they've been able to reconnect with um, what they've lost, which is, you know, in, in a very real way. Which, and and I, I think it's a nice. It, it has a nice end, you know. I mean, it leaves it open if they did want to go back, but they never do. But you know, yeah. David has what was the Terran fleet, or at least a, a large part of it there, and um, is off to go and cause shenanigans. And you know, who knows? Maybe that's what leads to the DS Nine version, or maybe it leads to the um, the TNG comic era. <laughs> the only the only the only thing that really sucks about about this book as far as like canon goes because you can you can you can fit canon you can fit books and comics into canon as as easily oh, as, I was gonna say, as you want you, you can do it if you if, 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 if you really set your mind to it you can make it work <laughs> yeah there's there's you know i i like the idea of, i i kind of got some pushback on twitter about this a little while ago but i like the idea of there's beta canon and alpha canon i always look at beta canon as like uh slightly misshapen puzzle pieces where they don't quite fit well into the puzzle, but you can still fit them in there if you want to. 
Well, well um, this is this is the great. I mean, Star Trek is kind of unique in that built into it is a sense that you can have multiple universes, and you yeah. know it, we, we've seen this with familiar universe, and then we see it explicitly with the uh, the 09 Star Trek film. I really don't see any reason why you can't have multiple mirror universes almost where you know okay they're all existing slightly different one of the reasons why i'm really salty about coda is it basically says no we can't have a mirror uh novel universe which is separate to the continuity so we're just gonna make it never happen save that for another podcast but yeah it's it's i I like that the mirror universe like a version of the mirror universe is doing something a bit different to what ds9 did or what tng1 did or what discovery did i mean you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say the Discovery version of the movie universe is going in different directions to what this depicts. Yeah. Um, one of the, one thing that I, 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 I... The reason why I stepped in is because I said that Star Trek Online was beta canon. <laughs> Star Trek Online fans don't like that. Um, and what would uh, they like us to call it? I Canon, uh, I guess. Um, but, like, you know, because the Enterprise F was in Star Trek Picard Season 3 and it was unceremoniously... Uh, decommissioned and hmm. for the Enterprise G and uh, online in continuity takes place after uh, Star Trek Online is 2409 is when it starts and I don't know if the years are kind of going consecutively but yeah it's because Star Trek 09 came in the wake of the um, uh, Star Trek Online came in the wake of the 09 film yeah. and the 09 film starts with Spock going back to in time in the jellyfish craft, and that was all 20. Read the countdown Star Trek comic, which some of it's now canon, some of it's kind of it's it, yeah. it's squiffy, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the Star Trek countdown comic. I was really surprised when because Kurtzman wrote that comic that a lot mm-hmm. of it ended up not being canon when they did Picard. Um, especially just Data's resurrection. Things. Well, Data's resurrection, but also um. Things like uh, in, in, in 09, it's a different star goes supernova, which then destroys Romulus. In Picard, they just say, now it's the Romulus star. That went supernova. Yeah. Which makes uh, did you <laughs> Speaking of the Kelvin timeline, did you ever read the Kelvin comics? Yep. I was really annoyed uh, when they stopped doing those too. <laughs> me too. I have them all. They did a mirror universe, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like a Kelvin mirror universe that I quite liked. They did a Kelvin mirror universe, and they also did, I think it was maybe the last one of the, uh, the comics, where they crossed over with the prime original series, Kirk and everything as well. So you had like TOS, Kirk and Spock and everything interacting with Kelvin, Kirk and Spock. And that was kind of cool. They also had a DS9 crossover, like a Kelvin mm-hmm. DS9 crossover, which I thought was yeah. fun. Um, justice, justice for the Kelvin verse. <laughs> yeah, man. I like the Kelvin verse. Um, anyway, so like I, so going back to the enterprise, the enterprise mm-hmm. F thing with the, the, on the Star Trek online thing, like this idea that, that, yeah okay so you can you can kind of again this is a puzzle piece that you can kind mm-hmm. of like shove into there the only thing that that's slightly off is the romulan war bit where which is the yeah the hundred the 10 year romulan war that ends with Romulan's well movie. and some of the klingon stuff as well is a bit squiffy now because uh they have uh Kalis the fort who is like said is great grandson of Kalis and right. you know they've now changed around. but yeah it's fine you can have maybe the universes. mirror universe Kalis was born after uh, yeah, the universe uh, Kalis, or maybe you know Kalis Four is you know how in the UK every king can choose their own name if they want to, and so you know yeah George George the Sixth was actually born Albert, so you know. <laughs> and in a couple, I mean, a couple of years from this from this from this issue, uh, not a couple of years, but a number of years after this issue was released, they would introduce Gorkin mm-hmm. as the Klingon uh, M- 
per chancellor. Cha- what the chancellor? I was forgot what they called yeah. them. The chancellor, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that's all I got for as far as notes goes. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's a solid story, and it, you know, you can read it. You can read the trade paperback, enjoy it, and not have to pick up anything else if you don't want to. There's nothing in there that kind of like suggests you have to do it. But the story ends with uh, them doing what I wanted them to do. They give Kirk the Excelsior so he can go and have adventures with that, basically. And then he goes off and the rest of the DC comics are Kirk and the, uh, his crew on the Excelsior. Uh, Spock's given command of the USS Surak, I believe, who later yeah. on ends up back on the Excelsior because, you know, of course they do. Um but yeah, it's, they they have other adventures and it's it's great and yeah, I, I really enjoy this series. I, I I do think that this is the strongest that the DC run was. You know, this was like the high water mark and yeah. the stuff afterwards. Your mileage may vary, but it is fun just watching how they circle back around to Star Trek Four when they all have to you know get back to uh, to where they are so they can incorporate that film into the canon. <laughs> I do really appreciate the ending of this book just being like this admiral. Having been beaten by Kirk, to who, who can't fire Kirk. The press, did he? You know, he, he he leaked it all to the press, which was great. <laughs> yeah, Kirk leaks the leaks the whole thing to the press, and this admiral is just like, "Well, I can't do anything to you, so take the Excelsior and get the hell out of my hair." Yeah, you've broken it twice. You take it, you fix it, and come back later. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Kirk's the test because they. Uh, it was really fun because they they realistically they knew that the, whatever next Star Trek film would be, they'd be back on the Enterprise. Um, so like he he's like go test the Excelsior. You're doing its shakedown cruise, and we're. And you I don't come think back they knew. We'll I, no, I don't actually think they knew they were going to have the Enterprise A. That was quite a late decision, from my understanding. In yeah. um, Star Trek Four, the, uh, the, there was talk that he would get the Excelsior again, and that's kind of why we do the double bluff when he's flying through space dock, and you see the Excelsior, and then it kind of disappears and right uh, and comes back. But it's just a great, great little self-contained story in what is to my mind the best era of of well, it's certainly my era of Trek's the one I grew up with which is that movie yeah. uh, which is the the movie universe era you know everyone's running around in their bell-bottomed pants and their monster maroon tops and uh, all of the ships are refit class era I love it <laughs> I do too um I have a oh uh, I, I, I was gonna say I, I do love as well though you know how they spent a lot of money doing the Genesis uh, effect in Star Trek 2 it's like one of the first mm-hmm. uses of CGI so they use it all the time I think it's in Star Trek 3 and 4 just in the background yeah they have that in here as well like they, they have him start to do the whole Genesis speech in there and I'm just like You're oh, yeah, right. they, they made sure they got it in there <laughs> Uh, that was really funny um so I've, I've got a question for you before we get out of here which is which is I, I want I want this rant from you um the, so the you said they should have the Excelsior at the end of Star at the end of Star Trek Four. Um, yeah. uh, do you, well, question one: Do you think it should be rechristened to the Enterprise uh, because Kirk commanded the Enterprise? Mm. Uh, I don't mind if they want to recommission Enterprise. I don't think they have to. But yeah, if you wanted to recommission it to Enterprise, it's fine. What I take issue with is the registry number. That's what. I, right? That's my other question. What is that issue? I want to know. So, so the reason registry numbers exist, it is so you have a track of what the ship is, effectively. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you imagine uh, somewhere in in memory alpha, there is a, a a large a large book, even bigger than this, a book to which the word tome might be associated. Within this book is a list of every starship that was ever made. And when we get to uh, the Enterprise A, uh, it's it's a bit squiffy. Some people think it's a new build ship, but I counter. It's not. They stopped building Constitution-class ships quite a while earlier. You know, this is another ship that was renamed Enterprise. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what ship it was because they changed the number. Sometimes 
you change the names of ships, you know, for reasons. In the US Navy at the minute, there's a few ships which were named after a little to-do that you guys had around the late uh, 19th century, a, a little uh, civil war, as it were. And people have suddenly realised, maybe naming our ships after people on the losing side, not such a hot idea. So they're renaming those ships, but you know what they're not doing? They're not changing the number of those ships so you can keep track of what the ship is. You, you, the registry numbers should be sequential so you can kind of know roughly where the ship is in the sequence. Like if you look at the battleships in the US, uh, the USS New Jersey is BB-62 because there were 61 battleships before you got to New Jersey and, then, yeah. and so on and so forth. I can't tell you how many ships were made before the uh, Enterprise G because the numbers, those are numbers meaningless. It means nothing. And I don't know what ship was the Enterprise A before it was changed because they kept the 1701. Dash eight. It shouldn't be that. It should be one seven one seven if it was the Yorktown or one seven something. I think three zero if it was the Taiho. But we don't know. Look, so yeah, registry numbers stay with the ship. You can change your name. Name doesn't matter. You keep the registry number. So my 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 question is why why if Gene Roddenberry was a Navy man, mm-hmm. why did he they... wasn't a Navy man? Oh, he well, was an Air but... Force man. Oh, maybe that's maybe that's what happened then. He was an Air Force man uh, who had an affinity for the Navy. But these are the sort of decisions you've got to understand. Gene Roddenberry's relationship with Star Trek, after the motion picture, he was quietly kind of shuffled off to a corner. Mm-hmm. And he got back in a little bit when he came to the next generation. But after about season one, he was once again quietly shuffled off to a corner. So Gene Roddenberry didn't have a huge amount of say in what happened and what went on. Um, and it's one of my biggest issues with Picard season two and three is is how I, mean, I got a lot of problems with Picard season two and I have a lot of problems with Picard season three but they don't get the Navy side of Starfleet like they call the Titan a refit it's not it's not a refit and if it was a refit you wouldn't change the registry number to dash A you would keep the registry number it had previously and that refit thing bugged me too yeah I mean they did it on the Stargate before that uh, and then when you get to Discovery in season four when it gets to the 31st century and they refit their discovery and again they give it a new registry number it's it's no the number stays the same you don't change well isn't isn't the registry number in discovery i can't believe i'm going to come to discovery's defense um in discovery's defense isn't it that they want to keep it a secret that you're wearing a disco shirt uh that it is a ship from the past well if you were going to do that uh i I have a couple of points uh counted number one maybe change the name number two (laughs) Don't just change it to the registry number to 1031-A, suggesting that there have been no other ships called Discovery in the entire thousand years prior to that. Um, and number three, it clearly is the Discovery. Even with the refit, it looks exactly the same. It's just yeah. slightly shinier. It's when Next Generation everything was running and, and through the movie years, you had people like um, uh, Hans Zimmerman. Uh, Hans Zimmerman? Hans Zimmerman. Hans Zimmerman, Zimmer's the uh, musician, but yeah. um, the guy who wrote the uh, the Star Trek technical manual along with Mike Okuda, who would kind of say, oh, no, it doesn't work like this, it should work like this, or, you know, there was someone in the room to address these points, and that's been missing, I think, in recent Trek, and, and I would like to get that back into it. But that doesn't uh, forgive the fact that this all started with fucking Star Trek IV with the Enterprise A. <laughs> And there we have it. Star Trek Four is a is a terrible movie because of the registry number. Basically, yeah. Also, the music's yeah. not great in that. But that aside, 
Life's fun. <laughs> um, all right. Well, anyway, so that was that was a, a great way to end this. This uh, so this was Star Trek uh, Star Trek the Mirror Universe saga, mm-hmm. uh, and you can check out, of course, the current. Well, if you want to read the current version of it, it's Star Trek Classics: The Mirror Universe Saga. But you, you could find you could you could find that version you could you could find that version online. But more importantly, you can still get the original print on like Amazon and secondhand bookshops. Support secondhand bookshops; they're important, folks. But also. The cover on that one is just beautiful. It's it, it's absolutely amazing. If I could get that as a poster, I would I would hang that up. And this is coming from a guy who really likes J.K. Woodward, um, who mm-hmm. is the cover artist of the sec- of the of the new edition. I yeah, this is the better cover, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I so yeah, I really like this book. I'm really happy we read this one. Um, Andy, thank you for joining me. On this Always one. a pleasure, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next time, the next time we will talk about. I think what I want to do is. And this could change, uh, yeah. which is uh, Star Trek Mirror Images, which is the other TOS era um, Star Trek book, which has a a kind of um, it has a, a a middle a middle chapter, which is Picard taking over the Stargazer. Ah, yeah. Um, which leads that into I, the yeah. I was gonna say that I believe is a prequel to the TNG. Um, yes. Mirror Universe ones, but it was written after the TNG ones were. So the stuff that's featured in there that started in the TNG comic Mirror Universe one. I could be wrong, but that is my understanding. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't read this one yet. Uh, mm. But yeah, that, that, when we come back, we'll probably be reading this one. Uh, so you know, stay tuned. Read read ahead if you want. Whatever. <laughs> um, I like the Mirror Universe, and I really like the Mirror Universe comics, so I wanted to to give that a whirl and have a, a outlet to do so. So. Uh, why don't we call it there? Andy, why don't you plug The Great Derelict and uh, anything else? Well, you can find The Great Derelict over at road2media.com or just search for The Great Derelict on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, it's just me and a guest. Brandon's been on it at least once, yeah. maybe twice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, once. We, we have to fix that and get you back again. But I just talk about everything and anything. I just, uh, at the time of recording last week, I did an episode talking about Star Trek Into Darkness 10 years on. What are our feelings about that? And Ooh. I just recorded today an episode about Babylon 5, The Road Home. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of everything in there. Uh, and if you want to read the uh, We Have Engaged the Borg, the oral history of the Battle of Wolf 359, uh, you can find it by just searching Wolf 359 Project. It's on uh, archive of our own. Uh, the PDF will be back up online officially soon once uh, we've got some new artwork. But, yeah, just yeah. Google is your friend. That can help you find these things. <laughs> Uh, I'm saying this off the record, so maybe I'll cut this part out. Okay, we're back. We've cut that part out um, yes. <laughs> for paramount legal reasons. But yes, so Andy, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Fickner Book Club. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope to do it again soon. Um, there's plenty of other stuff on the Fickner Podcast Family Podcast, which is what we call this network, if you're interested. Uh, there's plenty more. There's a lot of Fickner Book Club stuff coming up because a lot of our shows are on hiatus due to these strikes that are happening in America currently between the WGA and, and SAG-AFTRA. Um, please uh, do your research. Support the strikes if you pl- if you can. Uh, we we are in full support of uh, the striking unions and want them to reach a fair deal. Yeah, um, we'd like Paramount to stop being dicks and the other studios, like- but mostly Paramount. <laughs> but mostly Paramount. Um, so please check out uh, go to our website at fictionpodcast.com where you can find all the links to every one of our shows and find out what is on hiatus during the strike and what's being withheld during the strike. Uh, but there's other Fichtner Book Club shows. If you're interested, we've recently started a bi-weekly rotation where uh, the co-hosts of the Fichtner Podcast come together to 
uh, pick a book every week and we and we talk about that. So two episodes of that are out now. We're going to return to Wasted Space, which is another sci-fi book uh, that we started when we started this, this show a long time ago. Um, and of course, you can check out Fickner Book Fickner Podcast. This is a Fickner Book Club. Uh, you can check out Fickner Podcast. Uh, every, every other Sunday, uh, again, because of the strike, we've moved to an every other week, uh, format. You can check out, uh, you can check us out live. If you'd like to join us for that one every Sunday morning, if you're in the States every Sunday morning, I should reiterate because you are not in the States, Andy. I am not. Um, <laughs> As you can tell by my perfect Australian accent. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Of course, and, and there's there's plenty of other shows that you can check out. We've mentioned Conversation. Uh, season two is still going. Uh, I should probably plug that one. Uh, Andy was on season one, and season two is going on right now. I might be back in season three to talk about another thing. I want I want to get you back for season three. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, so so stay tuned for more episodes of that. But anyway, so you can check us out on uh, wherever you find podcasts. Of course, uh, there's. Our social media is a Fickner podcast. We have T Public and we have a Patreon if you'd like to support us financially. That's all linked below. Um, and you can find me at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter, and also right for CBR.com, AtomicEatum.com, and KaijuRamanMedia.com. And Andy, once again, your 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 socials. Uh, Andy Free, pretty much everywhere. Uh, the book is Wolf 359 Project and The Great Derelict is at Great Derelict. I don't post on that much, so Andy Free is probably the safest bet. Uh, but those will probably be linked below as well. But anyway, so that's that's it, guys. Thank you so much, Andy. This was great. And until next time you see us, live long and prosper. <laughs>